Good morning, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tech to You Tuesdays. Thank you guys for being here. It's a special day uh, because we have uh, significantly more viewers than normal, and I can't imagine why. It's almost as if a lot more people were watching the show uh, today than usual. Um, congratulations, Rob, on the announcement. We're so proud of you, and uh, obviously, we're looking to uh, be a part of that with you, too. Um, looking forward to what the future holds. It's exciting. Um, so getting on with the show today, we have a lot to talk about, and today, we are going to be focusing very heavily on scams, um, and and I, I have somebody with me today who is going to uh, have a lot of firsthand knowledge in, in how our customers are affected by scams, and we're going to talk a lot about how to um, protect yourself. So uh, that's how I introduce my my guest today. This is Jeff. Jeff Heatherly is our lead dispatcher here at Tech to You, our customer service manager. Jeff, don't you? I'm back. I hope everybody can hear me okay. Thank you guys for the uh, flood. We've got brand new hardware that went through very quick testing. So please feel free to email back in. I saw the flood of emails as soon as we started talking. Please feel free to email back in and let me know if you hear any issues. I appreciate that. And uh, I'm going to let Jeff get back to where he was. We were talking about, I don't know how much everybody could hear. I think that we got... Um, we got some of what you had mentioned about the guy's email, but let's let's go ahead and go back to the beginning of that. Sure, sure. So this this customer had received an e this customer had received a text message uh, from an unknown number that was giving him a six digit code that he was gonna that he was asked to use to verify that he was a real person to this stranger that he was doing business with on Facebook Marketplace, and it turns out that that number came from Google Voice. It was an authentication. Uh, number that they were given to verify that he is who he says he is so that they can set up a Google voice number, which is uh, like a normal phone number, except it's through the Internet. It's not tied to any of the normal phone service providers. And uh, that's obviously not what he was trying to do. It's what this stranger was trying to do. And so he called us because he wasn't sure what the implications of that were. Um, he also didn't know that it was a Google Voice thing. That's something that we were able to find out. What him. was it when he when he initially had this person message him? Did he he obviously went through it and he gave them the code? Right, right. What was it that prompted him? Did he say what prompted him to even reach out to us in the first place? It was just that after he gave this guy the code, the dude vanished. He was just totally gone. So he felt like, well, this person wanted something from me. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been in contact with me. I gave them this number, and that seems to be all that they want. I don't know why they wanted that number, but this doesn't feel right. Yeah. Well, obviously, it wasn't. Um, and and so he, they set up a, a, you know, presumably set up a Google Voice account in his name. We talked a little bit about what the implications of that could be. But just starting with the very basics, which is that someone someone got this guy and it could have been a lot worse than Google voice. Oh, sure. Someone got this guy to read a text message from his phone, which is inherently a form of two factor authentication. It's a way to verify who you are. That could have been uh, the two factor for his bank. Right. Um, now it, said in the message what it was and he read that off to us did you did you did you already say that in the first part so i was able to verify that it was from google voice based on the five digit number that it came from because you know sometimes you, there are those text messages like if you vote for american idol or dancing with the stars or any of those kinds of things they say send a text message to and then they just give you a five digit number yeah um, and this was from one of those kinds of five digit numbers i was able to determine that is the number that's used by google for verification 
application for Google Voice. Um, it did. The message also said that it was from Google. The message also said, "Don't give this number to anybody else." But yeah, those which is, happen, which is wild. I mean, like, so I, I think that if anything, that highlights how vulnerable people are. And this guy was intelligent enough to, oh, like, yeah, put the pieces together. This, you know, it's not like, and this is the case with most of our customers. They're they're not people who you know, can't tie their own shoes. These are a lot of times, I mean, we're, we deal with lawyers. We deal with people that are, you know, plenty, plenty savvy with, um, uh, I, I guess old scams, things that are not the digital age scams thing to look at, look out for, uh, you know, not signing up for services that are probably going to be a scam to pick these things out. But in the digital world, sometimes things just don't stand out to I, I you know maybe i would even say the masses as much as they would somebody like you and i and the guys that work here because we hear about this all day long so with this google voice issue just to kind of give some basic con- you know ideas of concerns uh one of the things i'd mentioned was if if you create an account with google voice and mm-hmm. just to explain what that is it basically gives you a cell phone number for for lack of a better phrase and you can make calls with it and you can send text messages and you can receive calls. You can get voicemails. Yeah. So that's what Google Voice is. is a, it's a phone service and it's free. Um, they have like paid versions, but it's free. So what I do as a scammer is I say, I want to get a Google Voice number and I want to scam people using this number. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call people and tell them that their computer's infected when it's not and try to try to extort money out of this person or whatever many scams that, that exist. Um, if, if somebody gets a Google Voice number, it has to be tied to a real cell phone. Right. A real cell phone being something that you typically would have to go to like AT&T, Verizon, whatever, and get an actual cell phone. When you do that, a lot of times they run a credit check. They know who you are. They know your social security number. They know who this person is that has this cell phone number. And generally speaking too, Google won't allow you to tie a Google voice number to like burner phones. Sure. So it's pretty normal for us to see Google voice tied to legitimate accounts. I, I have it myself. We use it here for different reasons. And um, so there are legitimate reasons for, for, for somebody to have it just to having two separate phone numbers for isolation of spam calls or whatever. So the thing, though, is that this guy, this scammer, he set up a Google Voice number for a legitimate person's phone and then presumably was going to go off and perform some scams using this number. Now, when this person is caught, which they would theoretically be eventually, uh, and it is investigated what number they called from, it's very easy for the police to find out, oh, okay, that's a Google Voice number. We're going to subpoena Google Voice for the information tied to this account. And they're going to say, oh, yeah, that ties to this guy's cell phone number, which now we're going to go to, let's say, Verizon. And now Verizon gets a subpoena. Hey, what's this, what's this person's name? Who, who owns this phone number? You know, assuming that's the kind of the basics of how this works. But ultimately, this customer of ours who called us to say something weird happened, he could have easily a month down the road, a year down the road, had the FBI knocking on his door, wanting to know about the scams he's been running. But it's not him, right? It's a guy who set up a Google voice number in his account. And it all started from something as simple as, I wanna sell something on Facebook, and this guy, who's willing to pay full price, has me interested, and he just wants to verify I'm a real person. That's easy, that's not a big deal. I'm just gonna sell my stuff. And something that simple can turn into a scam that maybe doesn't take money out of your pocket directly, this guy's scamming other people, 
but could easily land you in legal trouble. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And all these organizations are going to have a fairly high degree of confidence that you're the guy who made these phone calls and did these things with this number. Because not only do they not only do they have the record that points back to your social security number and all that involved in the credit check, but they're like, Hey, you know, when this was set up, we sent a text message to the guy who owns this phone, who makes those payments every month. We know this is the dude. And so it can be, it can be difficult to try to explain your way out of that. Yeah. and, And in our case, thankfully it was relatively straightforward to identify what we had to do first was research, Where did the five-digit number come from that he got the text? Mm, Once we figured that out, we made the connection that it was most likely Google Voice. From there, we asked him if he'd already had an account. Of course, he didn't. So presumably, a person set up an account with with his number. Mm. And at that point, it was really just a matter of uh, a few steps, setting up a, a proper Google Voice account, ensuring that protections were set up on that account to make sure that he wasn't easily scammed again. And then, of course, giving him those credentials and informing him of everything that had happened. So... That service is done, and I'm so glad that this guy had you know the thought to like, well, this is weird. Something right. is off about this because who knows what could have happened in the future. And and I, this story really highlights kind of the main thing I want to talk about today, which is it is so easy, so easy to be fooled by many, many different scams. And um, a lot of them start with, basic forms of, of social engineering, you know, manipulating a person into thinking that they're going to get something that they're looking for. And that could be, that could be you want to sell something online, that you want to buy something online, that, uh, you know, your Amazon delivery didn't come through at the time you'd hoped it was going to. I, there's just so many different examples. Well, and I get so many emails. My, I get emails probably two, three times a week from Uh, someone purporting to be a service that I use saying your account information is bad or we need updated tracking information. We need an updated address for your tracking information. And those emails are coming from fraudulent places. So I, as someone who works here, knows to check that and then just delete those emails. But if you're not somebody who works at tech to you, then you wouldn't necessarily know that beforehand. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I think, um, God, what's even so there's been a lot of discussion of, you know, seniors in particular are vulnerable to this. But it turns out, you know, we'll get into this a little bit more. um, Recent reporting would show that this is by no means just seniors. You know, this is um, getting into completely different audiences. So uh, just to dive into that a little bit more. uh, Okay, so this is a staggering number and you know i keep an eye on this kind of thing just just being a in the industry and and you know working with rob and talking about tech news and of course doing this show um in the since 2021 so we're talking you know what two and a half years um 2.7 billion dollars has been lost to scammers that's been what's reported which oh, i mean and there's no way there's no way that that is even close to all of it because sure. yeah, because people don't report it, they feel stupid, and well, they don't. Well, want not only that, know. they don't know that they're currently actively being scammed oh, sure, out of sure. uh, out of uh, you know hundreds or thousands or in, and we'll talk about this tens of thousands of dollars, and they think I'm paying for a warranty on my washer and dryer. I'm pay you know it could be anything, right? And and so uh, validating what you're paying for is just so so important. So to just go through some some highlights, this report just came out recently. So 2.7 billion dollars lost to scammers since 2021. But this is kind of the number that threw me off. 
in the first half of 2023, so first half of this year, 38% of the fraud that was reported by 20 to 29-year-olds, so almost half of fraud from people in their 20s came from social media. I mean, case in point, the guy sure, we were just yeah. talking about, right? And so we're, we're talking about TikTok, TikTok scams, Facebook scams, Instagram messages, and we'll get into another story about other other situations that source from social media, or uh, the, or, or scams that source from social media. It's 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 crazy how much there are. Um, so that was twenty year olds, or sorry, it, people in their twenties, eighteen to nineteen year olds. It was forty seven percent. So quite literally, you know, basically, it's right at half of all scams for teenagers are happening from social media. And you know, there is no report of sixteen year olds. 17 year olds. I had a bank account when I was, when I was 16. Um, and, 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 you know, now you can get a, a, you know, a PayPal account, an Apple pay account. Um, you can get money from your, your parents in these digital formats that you could spend on Fortnite V bucks and video games and stuff. And if a kid is going to get scammed, his parents might not ever even know that that happened. Oh yeah. And, and they can sign up for social media accounts when they're as young as 13. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's wild to think. Um, my son doesn't have any. My son is, uh, God, how old is my son now? 11. He's, and so he's not at a point where he's allowed to have any social media accounts. I really sure. don't want him to even get interested in, in traditional social media platforms. Um, but that worries me. You know, the things that he's already exposed to and just even YouTube videos and ads, like there's scams in those ads. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So, uh, a little bit more information on this report. Um, so well, first off, this the, like the thing that blows me away. Half of of scams came from social media for for teenagers, and it's it's crazy to think that there's even that big of a reporting of scams happening to teenagers. I would just think this is mostly you know in our history senior citizens, um, but uh, but most definitely this is uh, it's it's anybody. So uh, children and anyone with access to money uh, or or any kind of information are targets, and that's another thing to consider. Is it's not just money. Sometimes it's information. Your 13-year-old son got messaged from a person who is claiming that a delivery got missed at your house. I'm just making this up off the top of my head. This is how easy it is for these guys. And we just need to verify your address. Uh, your parents didn't sign, and they're not answering their message. How vulnerable is your 13-year-old kid? Are they going to respond with their home address? I mean, there's so many potential concerns there. Um so it, it's yeah, not the least of which in that situation is money. Right. right. I mean, and, and, and this is I, like, I'm just making that up. It's such an easy thing for like, if, if, if I can come up with these things off the top of my head, you know, monitoring your kid's social media or at least informing them of the types of things that we're talking about is critical. It's so easy to be a victim. Um, and, well, and if you don't mind me saying yeah. it, part of the thing that I keep encountering is that people call in and they say, this thing happened to me. I'm so stupid. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I, and I, and I got to tell them like, no, this doesn't mean that you're stupid. I, we tend to think of somebody as being like smart or not smart, which is uh, really reductive. But the fact of the matter is that we're all intelligent in different ways. And so people who are brilliant in so many different ways might just not be on guard for this one specific thing. So if this happens to you, don't be embarrassed to let somebody know. Yeah. Get help about it. It doesn't mean something terrible about you. And then the other thing, too, is is that if you're confident that you're a smart person, don't assume that means that you're not vulnerable because it's 
it's really easy to, I mean, I work here for crying out loud. And a couple of years ago when I was setting up my computer, I was trying to download, I was trying to download Chrome. I downloaded a virus instead. I realized I did it right away, but if that can happen to me, I know that it can happen to people that spend the rest of their days working on air conditioners or plumbing or uh, filing taxes or whatever. Plenty of examples of, of the people that are, you know, and I'm not as um, connected with like the best possible practice for virus removal today as obviously our technicians are. Um, These guys do this all day, every day, but I, I mean, I'm plenty savvy to identify what looks like a scam or something malicious. And sometimes I don't know because there was zero indication that it was a scam until after it's done. And, and sometimes they're just that good. That's rare, but it can happen. So yeah, it absolutely could fool any, anybody. So kind of want to talk about prevention methods, you know, during this segment um, or during today's show. One of the prevention methods that is going to be the best is if you're ever asked to pay for something with cryptocurrency. According to this report, 53% of every scam involved involved the purchase and transfer of funds through cryptocurrency. And the reason for that is it's generally untraceable. So if you convert $1,000 of cash into Bitcoin, for example, a common cryptocurrency, and then you follow the instructions of the scammer that says, transfer that to this wallet, and they walk you through how to do it. it you know, most of us wouldn't know how. Um, and then you do it. Now they have your your Bitcoin, and ninety nine percent of the time you got scammed. If somebody's asking you specifically to pay for something with cryptocurrency, that is a really bad sign. Or gift cards. That's the other one. Yeah, gift cards. Wild. How many people will call their bank at Target and they're buying five hundred dollars worth of Apple gift cards or whatever other mm-hmm. ones? Right. And. <laughs> They'll call their bank because the bank is declining a transaction because it looks unusual. And the person, the teller, or the, the, the person uh, on the phone from the bank is like, hey, you're, you're probably getting scammed. And the scam artists know the bank's process. So they'll tell them like, hey, if they say this to you, just tell them that you're getting it for your daughter as a birthday gift. If anybody's asking you to lie to pay for something, you're being manipulated. No question about it. There's no legitimate reason somebody would ever ask you to lie to pay for something. And they will tug on your heartstrings. They will they will play games with you that make you think that you're the person at fault, that you made some mistake, that you're personally impacting somebody's livelihood. If that comes up, something is wrong. And, and I, I could go on all day about the numerous scams that work in that way. But in short, if somebody ever asks you to pay for something with cryptocurrency, with a gift card, it is not legitimate. I can't think of a single legitimate situation that that would ever be used for. So be wary of that kind of thing. Yeah, because the only reason that they would ask to do that is because if you pay with a credit card and then you realize later that it was a fraudulent transaction, you can go to your bank. Your bank will get you your money back and yeah. you'll be okay. But if you paid with cryptocurrency, which is untraceable, that's why it exists. Or if you pay with gift cards, there's no getting that back. You're, yeah. It's gone. Yeah. Yeah. It's so... Keep an eye out for that kind of thing. It's like one of the easiest ways for for scam artists to get away with stuff. Uh, one of the other things to, to note about um, common scams that 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 um, come out this way, a lot of them that start on social media are actual paid ads on social media. 
Um, so think you're, you know, do you use Facebook at all? Do you use, are you a Facebook guy? I not really. No, I'm not. I like I use it because I have to. Yeah, I mean, I used to. I use but, it begrudgingly. But yeah, then I then I got married and and now she does all of that. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. so um, I you know if you if you're somebody who finds yourself scrolling what's that called the doom scrolling doom scrolling yeah, yeah. yeah doom scrolling through facebook one of the things that you'll see a lot is ads and and that that has been true for years um you know it wasn't always that way a lot for the in the beginning it was your friends and your family and stuff but now <laughs> right, it's it's right. riddled with ads and they and they're pretty good at targeting um they're, they you know they they look at things like facebook looks at the type of things that you search for so for example I might go on Facebook Marketplace and look for rims for a car. So ad advertisers might advertise for me, you know, uh, specials on wheels or whatever, dog food, anything, right? And um, the more Facebook knows about the types of things that you search for, the more you're likely to get targeted ads. Do you get targeted ads that? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I both. For me, it, it's for me, it's both offensive when the ads are very specifically targeted to. We know this is what Jeffrey is into, but then at the same time, I get these ads. That, so I don't drink, and I get all these ads for alcohol, and it's like Google, come on, dog. Yeah. I know you know me better than this. Yeah, it's it's funny, like how <laughs> we've talked about this before. How you say is how you have to say things like I'm not interested in this, and it's not because. <laughs> I dislike it. It's just because I don't want you to sell me on this. Yeah, thing. the last thing that I want to be admitting to something is not interested in fitness, <laughs> yeah. not interested in women. Like I don't, I don't. That's not that's not the message I'm trying to project. Yeah, yeah. But the, you know, the ads that they're giving you are like, I'm not interested in anything. Google, right. leave me alone. Just leave me alone. So Facebook. They 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 collect data on every person that uses it, and um and and this is you know, intention is harmless. Which is, if we know somebody's interested in buying wheels for cars regularly, let's send that person ads for wheels. And I think most people would agree. Well, that makes sense. It's helpful, even. Yeah, I mean, you're giving me the things I'm looking for, and Facebook, for the most part, can give you options to turn off personalized advertising if that feels like an invasion, which is a good argument. Um, you can turn that stuff off, but most people don't. And as a result, um, what happens very frequently is you get served ads from um, scams. So anybody can pay Facebook for advertising. You and I can finish this and go uh, sell uh, washers and dryers on Facebook Marketplace. I'm going to do it right now. Right now. Yeah, let's go sell some new washers and dryers. Range hoods. And <laughs> Range hoods. This is a different story. And um, if, if we decide we want to advertise to people that are, let's say, 20 to 40 and live in a certain area, we can. Facebook allows us to target those things. So if I'm a scam artist, what do I do? I'm going to put up an ad for AirPods Pro 2s, the new AirPods, the thing everybody wants, or the new iPad. And it's a flash sale because our business, we're going out of business. All right. And we bought all this inventory. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and we got to get rid of it. So let's buy some Facebook ads and let's sell all this stuff at half price. And what we'll do is we'll take payment in one format only, cryptocurrency. And nobody's ever going to get the stuff they bought. Or... Or the or uh, uh, iTunes cards. I mean, after yeah. all, we're Apple guys. We are. We're selling iPads and yeah. everything. Yeah. So obviously, we'd want we'd want uh, iTunes Apple, cards. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be that'd be a great way to go. So um, that said, Facebook, um, Instagram, in any of the places that you are being served ads through social media, 
they're one of the easiest targets of, um, of, of targeting a person's interests, for one, and then second, making up these like unusual prices. So like AirPods, the newest ones are, let's say 200, 250 bucks. So they list them at 150. Nobody's selling them for that price. I mean, kind of Apple kind of has a, a grasp or a grip on what you can even sell things for that are their products. Right. And so if you see uh, a product being sold for an unusually low price beyond like a reasonable sale, chances are there's something wrong there. And, and it's worth questioning. Um, and that's probably a good time to highlight that we don't charge for you to confirm if something is a scam. You can just call us. And, and I don't know, how many calls like that do you get a day? Oh, yeah, we get them all the time where somebody will see a message and there's nothing for us to do except to look at it with them and be like, yep, that's not legitimate. Yeah. So uh, I'm glad people are doing it. You know, I, I promote oh, sure. it a lot, but I'm glad people are doing it. Take advantage of it because it really, there's, you know, we kind of take the... Uh, there's, there's like uh, places that'll fix your tires and they do a thing where they'll air your tires up for free. We kind of take that approach. This is our airing your tires up for free. Um, because obviously from a business sense, it makes sense for us to try to you know gain some loyalty with our customers. So I really mean it when I say it's completely free. Just call us, ask, and we will, yeah, that, that doesn't look legitimate. I wouldn't proceed. And often it's just gonna be a confirmation of what you already suspect. If you've already gone as far as to ask us if something is legitimate, Chances are it's probably not, at least in most cases, but we'll verify for you. So I uh, want to jump into um, another another story here. We'll talk a little bit more about prevention methods. Uh, this is one that, it, was it was it the same? It wasn't the same day that this guy called with the no, Google No, no, it, it was a couple days later. A couple days later. So that <laughs> gives you the frequency at which we're dealing with this kind of thing. Um, there was a guy who has lost, you said, I think you said 60 grand. That's one of the figures he gave us, yeah. Over what period of time? He's been with them for, I think, a couple of years. A couple like, years. So it, gradually, it has been gradually happening, but that's still a staggering rate of loss. Is this the same guy who has the digital girlfriend in the Philippines? No. Different No, different no that's a totally different guy. <laughs> okay. Well, so hold on to that. Um, those are a big issue, too. Uh, but let's talk about this gentleman who who lost 60 grand over the course of a couple of years. And and I, I guess let's start with the call. He called us. Who to, who fielded that one? Was that um, you? No, it was, different, different no it was it was my special boy. It oh, okay. Was, it was, it <laughs> Great, was Leon. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this guy had gotten a call from... Uh, he got a call out of the blue from somebody that said, hey, your computer is infected. I mean, and that's a that's a common thing that happens is you'll get some phone call from someone that says, hey, we're from this company with a name that you recognize, and we want to let you know that your computer is infected. First of all, no one... No one from a legitimate company is ever going to do that. They don't. Yeah. They don't. They don't. Uh, they don't have people uh, equipped to do that. It's not in their business model to do that. It's just not something that's happening. Um, and they and they shouldn't. Additionally, they shouldn't know. So this guy uh, gets connected to them because they tell him that there's a problem with the computer, and from that, their relationship just snowballs. Um, they. They give him. They give him a name. They they have a name. Uh, it's American Geeks is what they go by, oh, which yeah. is because they had easy. a website too. Yeah, they've yeah. got a website. Yeah. Um, if you try to go to that website, please don't. Uh, if yeah. you try to go to that website uh, in Chrome, at least uh, Google Chrome will kick up a warning that says, "Hey, this website is kind of shady." Now, 
I should say that sometimes sometimes that occurs because a website has been set up by an amateur or maybe a license has just expired. Um, so it's not a hundred percent of web pages that are like that. But if you're trying to go to a company and you're getting an ad and you're getting a warning message that it, that this website might be fraudulent, that should set off a warning in your head as well. Yeah. There's, we, we, our team that does website development, we specifically, one of the last parts of deploying a website to go live is issuing what's called an SSL certificate. Right. And that security certificate is sort of what, um, just confirms that there's, and this isn't even advanced. It's just, no. it just means that there's a basic form of authentication going between you and wherever that website is stored. That's it. It's not a lot. It's not a, it's very easy to do. You could write your own certificates. Right. I mean, and websites that I've developed just myself individually have those. Right. And, and when you go to them, you can see that at the start of the address where it says HTTP, it'll say HTTP, HTTPS. Yeah. And on most modern browsers, you'll see like, a little lock, you know, it's gray. It kind of indicates that right, it's right. Se secure. It'll certainly tell you if it's not. It'll even like on iPhones at the bottom now is where the browser or the, where the URL bar is. It specifically says the words not secure. Right. So, you know, yeah. Right. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're being scammed right now. It just means that this website hasn't gone through the thing that it yeah. should have. It's kind of the first check. <laughs> Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. It's it's a really basic, easy thing to do. So anyway, this company's clearly uh, this cl company's clearly not on the up and up. Um, but I don't know that this I don't know that this customer ever even tried to go to their web page because I don't know that he would have had a reason to. Yeah. Um, so they just get regularly connected to him. They're often telling him you need this or you need that. The biggest one that jumps out at me is they sold him in a block. They said they sold him lifetime IP protection. Yeah. For five thousand dollars. Yeah. And which 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 hurts. And it's that's first of all, that's not a thing. Yeah. Um there are and I'm not even sure necessarily what, what IP protection means in this context. There certainly are things that you can use like a, a virtual private network to prevent your IP from being seen when but, you're yeah, online. Yeah. And, and the idea of like your IP being protected is silly too because not only is that sort of like public information, you could mask yourself on the internet using a VPN service. You don't need to. Um, but no. when you go home and you you know load up your internet connection and you go to whatever website you go to, for the most part, those websites know what IP address you're coming from, and that's fine. There's not really anything specifically damaging about that. But uh, your IP address in most consumer situations changes, too. It's not. It's called dynamic, which just means that at some interval, it changes. It refreshes. So to get a quote-unquote lifetime IP protection would imply that this person was already paying for a commercial static, non-changing IP address which he most certainly wasn't. No, no. And and if you even know what that means, you would know that you don't need lifetime IP protection. Right. Right. And so generally speaking if if you can't get somebody like us to explain to you in a way that makes perfect sense why something is of benefit to you, there's probably something that's off. Well, and the way that, you know, a good lie is based at least partly on the truth. Sure. So they'll use terms that you might have heard before, like firewall or IP address. And, and you'll be like, I know my computer has an IP address. So that does sound legitimate. Yeah. It, it doesn't it, it it's not a totally made up term. You've heard of it before. Um, but what they can do is like um, if there's a command that you can run on on your 
computer, uh, it's uh, Netstat, and it just shows all of the different things you're connected to right now, mm -hmm. and it produces this list. So if a scammer is connected to your computer, they can just go run this command, and it'll sh and they'll say, look at all the things that are connected to your computer right yeah. now, and it'll pull up, and a lot of them will even say foreign address, yeah. and that doesn't yeah. mean that doesn't mean that it's coming from Russia, China, or <laughs> yeah. whatever country yeah. it is that you're afraid of today, uh, but yeah. it, it just means that it's not local to your network or that it's not local to it's not internal with your system and not only is that normal it's built in in most cases that there will be some of those right and or they'll they'll open up your task manager and say hey look at all of the programs that are running on your computer right now and that's something that our technicians will do is we'll look at all the programs that are running because we're really familiar with not me but our technicians are really familiar with the names of a lot of common malicious programs and we can be like oh I don't even have to I don't have to go any further to know that your computer is infected because I see it right there yeah. but if someone that isn't trustworthy worthy is on there they'll say hey look look at this thing that's running and you'll be like I don't know what SVC host is mm -hmm. and Jeffrey doesn't know what SVC host is. I know that it's an important, I know that it's a regular thing that runs on a computer, but I don't remember what it does. So I wouldn't expect most people to know, oh yeah, that's that's a legitimate part of my operating system or about the packages that I use. So it looks scary. It's yeah. just a bunch of programs you don't recognize running on your computer. Yeah, I hate to say it, but you know what actually ends up happening is a lot of times because our technicians will establish a good rapport um, right. with their customers and we will go through what is a very similar process to what these scammers try to replicate, which is, you know, we connect to your computer, we show you the things that are wrong and we tell you that we can fix them. And, and you know, in a nutshell, that's what they're doing too. Um, it's actually, it, it's kind of a bummer that more people don't, that they just trust us. I mean, I love that we're trusted. Sure. It's great, but it's a double-edged sword. Right. When somebody calls and they say, hey, I just got connected to strangers and they got on my computer and I think that there's viruses on there now. And I'm like, great. Let me put you on the phone with one of my technicians so we can connect to your yeah. computer remotely. Where does it end? Well, and, and it's a stupid analogy, but it's the one that I use is that, you know, a wrench can be used to fix a toilet or it can be used to smash a toilet, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it all comes down to whether or not you trust the people that you're working with. We're trustworthy. We've been in the business business for 20 years. We've got an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. We've got physical locations. You can see our dudes in green shirts if you really want to. Um, I think that's probably one of the biggest highlights is that you can meet us. Right. And when somebody calls you or you call them and anything even feels mildly off, don't hesitate to let your confidence rise a little bit and just pause it for a second. And this is what extends well beyond our industry. You know, the computer repair scams are a big thing. Um, but there's plenty of scams out there that are well beyond us. Again, selling you the updated warranty for your washer that you bought, you know, at I'm wherever. here to call about your car's warranty. Yeah, I mean, there's so much of that stuff. And if any of it feels even mildly off, just do a little tiny bit of research on the company. And chances are you're going to find something that's either a red flag or, oh, okay, they're trusted by all these organizations. Their website looks legitimate. They have a physical location in town, which I can go to. These are all things. Well, and you can Google a phone number, too. And if all of the results are, is this a scam? And then the yeah, answer is probably yeah. yes. I actually had that happen yesterday uh, at a, a PG&E scam. Um, call my phone. And, and it was uh, spoofing an actual PG&E number. Uh, I waited until the voicemail came through and listened to it. And it was just, it was kind of obvious. So... 
yeah, you can, you know, you got to, unfortunately, you got to kind of double check everything. Um, so going back to this, this, this gentleman who lost sure. a, a, a ton of money, um, we'll wrap this, this story up, but what, can you just give a brief summary? What was it that he had said he had lost all this money doing over 60 grand over? Yeah, it was just years? over and over again. They would tell him, you need this for your, you need this for your computer. You need that. I mean, the, the lifetime IP protection was one yeah, thing. Yeah, five but, grand or something that he had spent. But on. yeah, they would just be regularly getting, asking to connect to his computer. So they were calling him. In most sure, cases. sure. What was it that um, caused him to finally decide to call us? So what happened, well, one, he's a rad listener. So, oh, goodness. Um, so, oh, that's so much worse. So, so was the Google Voice okay. guy. So so I'm glad, th- so thank you for listening yeah. and thank you for calling. Um, but uh uh, there was a time when they called him and he said, no, I don't I don't need you anymore. I don't need help with this right now. And I don't I don't want to do a connection with the computer. And they started moving the mouse and uh, demonstrating that they were already connected. And at that point, he was like, these people are doing things without my permission that doesn't feel right. Yeah. I'm going to call tech to you and see what's going on. And I'm on. glad he did. You know, I, oh, I, yeah. I, unfortunately, you know, I, 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 like I started this with, I don't want to speak ill of any of the people that fall for these scams. No, absolutely not. Often they're really well done and they're getting better at articulating what they're, what they're trying to accomplish. It's, it's harder and harder to discern, you know, a legitimate service from, from a scam, which is unfortunate. So, um, I want to uh, talk a little bit more about, uh, some scams. I want to start with, um, actually I'm going to show a picture here on the screen. I, I had, uh, forgotten I'd had these until just a few minutes ago. I, um, I've got a scam, a couple of scam emails to kind of look out for. So uh, up on my screen, I'll kind of zoom in here a little bit. This is actually an email I got when I was putting together this this segment um, last week when I was putting together our, our show. And uh, <laughs> so you can see here that I've got this email from eSign is what it says, uh, sort of like, you know, uh, copying DocuSign is really what they're going for here. Yeah, yeah. And it says, a new document shared with you. Hello, Ian, at techtu.com. A document has been shared with you via DocuSign. Uh, please go to access the document button. You know, So I hit this access. Basically, it wants me to hit this blue button that says access document. And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't, I didn't sign anything. Now, I knew from the moment this email came in that this was a scam because I haven't used DocuSign for any contracts or anything in weeks. And our company doesn't even use this. We use a different service. So uh, what I do here is what I highly encourage everybody to do is learn the advanced art of mousing over links, (laughs) which is to uh, quite literally move your cursor over a link without clicking on it. And you get a little preview of where that link is going to take you. So I'm going to zoom in when I mouse over on this link, you're going to see this is where I, you know, I just mouse over this access document and it shows me here where it's going to take me this. I, and I've, I've blurred it because I don't want anybody to go there because I already have a pretty good idea of, of what this will do if you go to this URL. Number one, you're going to verify that my email in particular is being, uh, you know, used for scams and I'm vulnerable. Right. Well, and that's a thing, too, is that we a lot of us know not to click on things in an email that might be from a scam. But. If you've if you've ever seen you get an email from from somebody whose mailing list you're on and it says if pictures aren't showing up, click on this button to download pictures. Those pictures yeah. aren't being sent in the email. They're pulling from the web page of the company who's sending you that. There's nothing wrong with that. But with these scam emails, if you choose to download the pictures, um, 
even if there's not like something terrible in it, it's at the very least producing traffic on their server. So they know you got the email. There's someone on the other end of this line. Exactly. Yeah. That's a, it's a, it's a great thing to highlight the importance of uh, not displaying pictures and emails by default for exactly that reason. Um, you know, if you're loading it from their server, not only do they know that a person clicked on it, they know which person, which email clicked on it. Now you just become a target for, for more of these things. So this is obviously, this URL is not a DocuSign URL. It doesn't say www.docusign.com. It says ccmp.eu, which is probably, um, it has a subdomain here. This is probably, possibly at some point, a legitimate URL, which was hijacked. Injected code got on their website. Um, files got put there maliciously, and the people that are running the site might not even know that this is going on right now. Um, so, either way, though, what I'm looking for here is very quickly. This is not a, a, a URL to DocuSign.com, and and even more importantly, it, it it's also not DocuSign.com.eu stuff like that, where you see these additional dots after a com, that's another really clear indicator that somebody's trying to scam you. So you want to look for, if you're going to mouse over a URL, it should be exactly what you expect, you know, tech to you.com and then whatever and else. That's, yeah. And that's it. Like there shouldn't be a bunch of stuff before it, you know, and if you're again, ever unsure, let us know. And, um, and then here's some, some other ones. These are common ones. If, you, if you're in a, a school that uses Office 365 or any of the Microsoft products, uh, that you'll get these things that say like a high severity alert has been triggered and the severity is high and you must, uh, you must do this. And it gives you this, this message looks legitimate. This, this looks a lot like the formatting that Microsoft would use for certain types of notifications. And then again, if I were to mouse over view alert details, I'll see that it takes me to an invalid website. Another one, this is another DocuSign one. This one I only wanted to highlight because of how incredibly legitimate this looks. This looks even better than the last one that I showed you, the one that was sent to me. Um, security information has been changed, and then you can click the Verify Activity button. The wording of these is sometimes a giveaway, but that's getting harder and harder because scammers are using ChatGPT to write in perfect English. And so we don't get to look for those same kind of like obvious misspellings from people that are writing. And well, and realistically, all along, they've been capable of copying and pasting what the legitimate email would say straight in there. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because the formatting is the thing that they screw up. Like they know how to run right. digital scams, but they screw up the formatting or whatever it is. But yeah, at this point, yeah, it's 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 going to just be a little bit harder. And, and using that mouse over technique that I showed you is going to be a good way to um, prevent yourself from getting scammed. Well, and on your computer, you like Ian was saying, you don't want to click. Right. Because if you click on it, then it's going to start trying to send that email. But if you're on your phones... Um, like on, on Android, I know you can, you can tap on it and because on, I, in, on the, on the computer, you're immediately going to try to re send a reply to that person, but on your phone, you'll tap on it and it will show you that information along with other options. Mm -hmm. So if you're getting that email on your phone, because so much of us are on our phone all the time when we're getting right, like 200 emails a day, you can click, click, you can tap on it and it will say, you know, this message that's supposedly from F. FedEx is coming from 7J6842576.com, exactly. like yep. not a real place. So there's a million of these. I got a bunch of these examples, but the point is that these these emails, they look totally legitimate uh, a lot of the time. And so using using that technique to verify where the link is sending you to, and, and you know, even if you didn't think about it until after you click the link, you know, you went to the website, you got the email from Chase Bank saying that your password has changed. So you click the link to say, that wasn't me. 
go back to whatever my other password was. And it says, you know, you get to the website and it says, okay, that must not have been you. Go ahead and just type in your old password for us. Well, the website that you're on is probably not Chase's website. It's a website that looks like Chase's website. So even if you have clicked on the URL and you end up on this website, again, you can just go to that URL bar at the top and see if it doesn't say chase.com, you're not in the right place. So that's the thing that you really want to you know, keep an eye out for. And again, that's a great stopping point. When your heart is racing because you're nervous about something and you just want to fix it right away, that's the time to call us and confirm. It's so easy to just, you know, get that free answer real quick rather than worrying about what's going to happen. Um, if you feel yourself in that moment of panic, that's the time to take advantage of somebody who knows more about these types of scams. So I highly encourage that. Um, I'll repeat that a lot. We don't make any money from you guys calling us and doing this thing. <laughs> okay. I, I'm, I'm not hiding anything. It's not 49 bucks for us to give you an answer. It's free. So take advantage of that. Tell your, tell your you know, your kids and your, your your elderly family members and things. Hey, call this number if you're not sure about a scam. We love answering those questions. We can save so many people so much trouble. Um, I got an email here uh, from, uh, let's see, this is from Dimitri. He said, uh, do you ever mess with the scammers? I got a text message about my USPS package <laughs> and owing $100 due to an error from this shipping company named APLE. That's how it came across. So I had some fun, copied the link to a private browser, um, he kind of explains the technical side of what he did. And then, uh, you know, only entry was some, some curse words. And so, yeah, he's messing with them. Um, ha have I? Yes. It's been a while because it does take a, a lot of my time to do it. Um, but it's fun when, when I get the chance to, there was a time where uh, I set up what's called a virtual machine. Long story short, it's like a, a fake running version of windows inside of your computer. And um, everything that's outside of that on my physical computer um, can't be reached. So it's like this safe bubble of a fake computer. It's kind of the easiest way to explain it. And uh, so I, I call these scammers and I let them connect to my fake little bubble computer. And they think they're on just a totally legitimate, normal computer. And I, I just, you know, one of the things that I think is most fun about that is just draining their time. You know, regardless of whether or not they even find out I'm messing with them at some point, I just like the fact that they had to spend three hours with me instead of three hours scamming some other person. Uh, and I have done it, and it is fun. And um, the only thing is it just it just does take so much time. And there are guys who do this all day. They have, uh, like, YouTube channels and... and Twitch streams. Yeah, Twitch streams, twitch.tv. They'll have uh, scam channels where they just... All they do all day is mess with scammers. And it's really entertaining to watch them because it's fun to watch these, these scammers kind of freak out. Um, um, good email. Yeah, I love, I love doing that kind of thing. So uh, talking a little bit more about some of these. But be uh, safe. Yeah, yeah. Be careful. Don't, I don't encourage you to do what I did. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, yeah, try to just, just hang up on them. You know, the more that you interact with them, the more likely they are to continue to engage you in, in some type of attempted scam at least. Um, so the, the email, email phishing, um, you know, there's a lot of different tactics to that uh, of ways that people will try to get you. And I went over them a little bit in those those demonstration emails that I was showing. Um, but just to kind of give you some basic ideas, there's there's a lot of quote unquote phishing attacks, phishing spelled with PH. Um, one of the, the most um, devastating is what's called spear phishing. So the definition of that is targeted toward a specific individual or organization. This is usually going to be something like a person that's a high level executive in a company, somebody who's a politician. Um, and this usually usually comes with some format of uh, social engineering, learning things about this person's background, their family members, the places that their family members attend, where they go to breakfast, lunch, and dinner, all of this information that you can combine to 
make yourself look like a legitimate source um, where, you know, maybe you, you pretend that you're this individual, let's just say a politician, you're this politician's friend, somebody that they talk to regularly. So you set up an email account using their name. You send them an email asking a question, looking for some very specific personal information. And, um, and you kind of highlight that email with, you know, some things that you know about this individual that might legitimize your, your, your email in some way and make them not even think twice about who's sending them a message. Um, and so you just respond and you send them, you know, your address or whatever it is that they're looking for. And um, you've been duped by social engineering and, uh, you know, a spearfish. Um, there's other ones where they'll, you know, again, the, uh, the chase email account thing. Um, imagine the devastating effects of allowing a politician to accidentally give a password to a scam artist for some, you know, federal login for national security. I mean, those things happen. They have happened. So uh, that's a common one. It's not one that most of us need to worry about. Um, it, it, you know, it's these are, again, very targeted at specific individuals in most cases. Uh, whale phishing is another one. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, Sorry, I said these uh, slightly backwards. Um, a lot of times spear phishing is going to be an entire organization or people within an organization. Whale phishing is looking for the whales. So spear phishing is still kind of a, a targeted attack. Think like at tech to you, it's the owners, the managers, the people who have access to things. Uh, whale phishing would be at tech to you, our, our CEO. It's the president rather than, you know, people of the House of Representatives, things like that. Um, but either way, these are both very targeted attempts. And, and, and the names of them don't matter much. It's just to know that they exist. And if you're somebody with information or somebody with money, you could easily be a target of these these types of emails. So being very cautious about the things that you click on. Um, and then general farming uh, is, is another thing. You have fishing farming uh, or farm fishing. Is, there's a bunch of different names for it. Basically, what they do is they redirect you from, like I was talking about with Chase, they redirect you from a, like a legitimate website or legitimate email looking source to this fake one. And the goal is to get you to like type in credentials. You know, to you click on the email in your the email in your inbox that says uh, your password changed with Chase, you click on the link, it takes you to a fake looking Chase website and you say, oh yeah, let me just go ahead and type in what my old password was so I could verify who I am. Um, that's a really common one. So yeah, there, there was a, there was a, a specific example. It, it's specific for hundreds of millions of people yeah. uh, is that um, a few years ago, Yahoo had their security compromise, you mm -hmm. know, gigantic company I remember and that, they yeah. had a, I, and I'm not exaggerating. They had a billion email addresses and their passwords compromised. Mm -hmm. So following that, hundreds of millions of people received emails that say, hi, Janet. <laughs> yeah. I know your password and it's this. And then it's Janet's password. Mm -hmm. So Janet's looking at that email and she's like, holy cow, this person knows who I am and they know a password that I've used and maybe that I'm continuing to use because I'm not practicing good password habits, but they know my password. And then the email will go on to say something like, I've got webcam footage of you doing something you don't want people to know about. Yeah. And I'm going to tell everyone at church or whatever. Yeah. Like the, it, it's a general blackmail email. Um, and it was sent out to scads and scads of people, but it, it, 
was each one of them was targeted to the individual that it was sent to yeah. with actual legitimizing information that was accurate and it was a really scary thing yeah. to I, to get those emails i know i got one it's one of the reasons why that's just a great way a great time to highlight the importance of using different passwords for different services because if you're the type of person which most of you are this is the, easily statistically that the majority of people that uses one password for everything mm -hmm. or two um, because it wouldn't let you use the same password because because yeah. you didn't have an exclamation point in it yeah, or whatever. you had to throw an extra asterisk in there the um the problem with these repeating passwords is exactly what jeff is pointing out which is that there's these very common hacks where hundreds thousands hundreds of thousands or millions of email addresses along with their passwords get leaked and if you're the type of person using the same one for your bank for your facebook for your paypal for whatever now they have access to all your accounts and you better right. believe that's what they're targeting first that's what they go for that's why they look for these kinds of things so you know using multiple uh multiple passwords and then two-factor authentication I, I i cannot stress that enough Whenever it's available, I know it's annoying. I know that you don't like to have to go to the other room to get your phone, to read the text message, to figure out the code, to, to log into your account. I don't even like trying to pronounce two-factor authentication. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's one of those things that everybody just needs to have that practice. Uh, traditional passwords are going to start becoming a thing of the past. And what I mean by that is... There are companies, you know, tech to you included, um, where their employees are going through this phase of transitioning from very simple passwords. This is years ago. We just had, you know, username and password. And then we started doing um, passwords with uh, two-factor. And now we're adding um, things like single sign-on, which I'll get into. Do we, does everybody know what two-factor authentication is? Oh, we've talked about it a lot, but yeah, I guess it's a good, good time to highlight real quick. You know, the basics are um, you type in your password after your password is typed in and, it, and the website or whatever you're logging into says, okay, that's the right password. Now to ver verify you're not just somebody who stole that password, we're going to send you a text message and you have to read off that code to us so we know who you are. This kind of goes back to our very first story about two factors being abused. You would only ever give that to the source that right. you said, hey, send me a text code and I'll give it to you. Um, and there's other forms of two factor you can use. Um, like uh, Google Authenticator is another one where it generates an automatic uh, six-digit code for you every 30 seconds. And it, without getting into too much about how that's set up, there's, there's multiple forms. Um, so the thing is that two-factor is kind of like the, uh, the current standard as far as um, how to provide some additional security to your accounts. But we're starting to get into another uh, realm. And, and we're in the very beginning of it, but it is, it is happening. Um, and, and we call it the push to be, quote unquote, passwordless. Um, and, and you could look up this phrase passwordless and what that means. But in short, it just means that you use a different form of authentication to verify who you are when you're trying to log into, let's say, for example, your bank. And many of you are already doing this and might not realize it. Like a good example is you open the Chase app on your phone. And if you've got an iPhone, um, it'll do a little face ID thing and kind of say like, oh, I, I know who you are. And then it lets you in. That's a biometric form of security where you didn't type in a password, passwordless. That's all that means. It's not super complicated. Many people are already using it and not, not realizing it. The idea, though, is that we want to use this for every login. 
So when you go open up your computer and you go to yahoo.com and you sign into your email, we want that to be a biometric form of authentication, whether it's a fingerprint, a face ID scan, you know, um, there's retina scans. There's, there's all kinds of advanced forms of biometric security at this point. And the most common ones though, are like what, what phones support, um, do you use, you use a fingerprint, I think. On yeah, 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 I've got a fingerprint on mine. So um, the the thing I think to, 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 to take from this is that we're, we're, we're starting to change into kind of this new realm and it's going to affect people a lot. Um, and I can't, I can't suggest this enough, embrace the passwordless future. If you're one of those people that's like, oh God, I hate when it needs to scan my face and I'm like laying down and I got to... I hate all change. Yeah, most of us do to some degree. Um, It is one of those things, though, that is significantly more secure than just, you know, only hand keying in a password. Um, It's just it's a layer of security that is so much harder currently for people to fake and get around. So um, I, I highly recommend whenever you get that opportunity to check the box that says, do you want to use Face ID to log into this? Do you want us to just scan your thumbprint moving forward for this? Um, although there are, you know, physical ways for people to get around that by like pointing your phone at your face or, you know, like there's, that's kind of a different situation. You know, that's a little bit more of a, a physical security issue. And I've, I've heard those arguments, but statistically it is, you know, it's, nowhere near the level of security of just having a password with two factor. It's, you know, uh, a tenfold more secure. So, um, that said, I, I wanted to jump into, I, we got a, a lot of topics to cover. So I'm going to, I'm going to run through a couple of these, um, kind of quick. Um, one of the things I wanted to touch on after this, this password list thing is, is just, you know, the safety in general, like you're giving chase the, you're giving chase a way to let you log in using your face. Is that safe? Is it safe to let Chase see the 3D scan of your face? Well, thankfully, it doesn't quite work that way. Um, the way it, it actually works is like on an iPhone, again, for example, same with most Android devices, is your face ID is stored in your phone. And in, in, in an iPhone in particular, it's stored in a secure chip. And uh, Chase doesn't get to see what your face scan looks like. They just get to see that your iPhone verified that you're you. And then they pass that information on and then Chase lets you log in. And without going too far into that, um, it leads to questions though from people a lot of times like, you know, is is my face scan something I need to be concerned about being like in the cloud? My fingerprints, are those getting in the cloud? Now, the nice thing is that for the most part, um, those aren't there. They're not in the cloud. They're stored on your device. But it leads to a, a good question, which is, you know, is it safe to store things in the cloud? I got an email about that. Um, Craig emailed us and said, uh, he said, I hope you're enjoying your TTU Tuesdays. I do when there's not audio problems at the beginning of the show, (laughs) Um, but it has been a lot of fun and I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, I have some questions and concerns about cloud technology. I've always been curious about how the cloud works. I've also had reservations about the security of storing data in this manner. I once heard the phrase, the cloud is just someone else's hard drive, which is true. It's actually a fair explanation. And it's left me feeling hesitant about embracing this technology. Reasonably so, and I understand. Um, My wife and I uh, believe that there may be significant benefits to using cloud services for our family, but we greatly appreciate some reassurance and better understanding of the inner workings of cloud technology. So you can hear a little bit of my apprehension. I understand where you're coming from. Um, I'll start by saying that I am very much a large user of cloud technology in many formats. 
Um, and the reason why is is kind of basic. It scales really fast and easy. You can have um, you know a small amount of data grow into a massive amount of data, whether that's pictures or videos or whatever. And it, it you know it's it's easy to just add more and more and more. You don't have to go to your local computer repair company and get a bigger hard drive. Um, so there's that. There's the cost for that storage. So like for example, I think I pay. I can't remember the exact amount. I think it's like $2.99 a month and I get like two terabytes of storage from Apple on their cloud server. Um, and so they stored all, you know, a copy of all of my photos and pictures and stuff. Yeah, I don't pay and nothing and I get to store a lot of data. Google, right? Yeah, Google Photos. Yeah, well, and, I, yeah, and uh, Dropbox. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's um, a lot of services that offer like free low tier. 15 gigs of data a lot of time is kind of the cap. That's a lot of data. Um, so yeah, you know, the amount of data that you're storing is is uh, going to be different to every person, but you can get a lot of data storage for free. I like this low cost paid versions more so than I like the free ones. Um, in experience, I've found that if something goes wrong, I'm much more likely to get support from a paid oh, product. sure, yeah. But for low tier backups um something that i might already have a physical backup of and i just want like well i don't really need to pay for another backup of this because i got it somewhere else that's great you know like um putting putting maybe some some documents like your hud documents from buying your house and you want to have a digital copy of them you got them on this backup and you got them on that backup and you got them in your email and you're like yeah maybe i'll add one more source and a free one wouldn't be bad but generally speaking anything that's of critical importance it's not a bad idea to have a paid backup solution of some kind um so that said too they're automatic in most cases these backups you know so if you take a picture on your on your iphone or your android device in most cases it's uploading that to the cloud automatically um, which is great you don't have to go home and unplug you know plug your phone into your computer and transfer them and then transfer them again so accessibility of it is is is, is really great uh or, or sorry the automatic portion of it and then the accessibility being a part of that which is just it's so simple to just click the button that says backup my stuff automatically right so that leads to the scare. What are the risks? Um, and there's a lot. Uh, the reality is that there's a lot. Uh, there could be data breaches like we talked about with Yahoo. Mm -hmm. um, has there been data breaches of cloud data? Yeah, but they're a little bit more direct. Like there was, there was a, um, a period of time where a lot of celebrities had their iCloud accounts hacked mm -hmm. and like photos, personal photos and stuff were oh. taken out of their accounts. Um, but those are more targeted. Those passwords got leaked. It wasn't like Apple servers got breached. Right. Right. Um, no, nobody's getting into Apple. Not yet. Yeah, hopefully. Um, I mean, I, that would suck for me. And again, I'm taking that risk. And I know it. I know that I'm taking that risk by allowing them to, to have copies of my data. Although you have to ask yourself, like, who's more, who's more vulnerable, Apple with their army of resources or, or you individually in your hard drive at home? Agreed. Yeah. I mean, if my computer gets stolen and I don't have my stuff, you know, encrypted on my drive, it's then you just have access to my data. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, yeah, data breaches, data loss, you know, uh, server failures can happen, server outages, making it impossible to back things up in the first place. Um, data sovereignty. This is an interesting one. So depending on the service that you're using as a cloud service, you could be backing up your files to somewhere outside of the U.S. Um they could be getting backed up in Russia or China or whatever the flavor of the week of the hated country is. Sure, sure. And uh, and and you may not know. It could potentially not even be in the fine print. Now, thankfully, most major companies that we know, the names of Amazon, AWS, they're very transparent about where their servers are at. Mm -hmm. um, they're very transparent about how they manage their data um, as far as the security of it and who has access to it and how it's how it's stored. 
Right. Same thing with Apple and Google and uh, all the major players, Microsoft. Um, vendor lock-in is another one, and this is a really big one for Apple. Vendor lock-in just meaning that, th- I mean, this is a, this is another risk of, of going with cloud technology is let's say you want to transfer, I, like in my case, I have like 9,000 photos on my phone. Sure. I know this because they were talking about that on Rad like uh, last week about how many photos people have. So I've got them on my phone. I've got them backed up in the iCloud. Now in my case, I've also physically got them on my computer and a physical hard drive that's in my safe. And about once a month, I, I back my stuff up. I know this is not something that most people will do, um, but it's my it's my protection against that that walled garden that apple has they don't allow me to just click a transfer all your photos to google button right i wish that's not in their interest right no of course not so um that is another one of the risks is the hassle of getting all those things off of it you'll be able to but sometimes it could be a hassle um now it's your data but they're not going to make it easy for you to just leave them right yeah i mean yeah exactly it's in their best interest so researching the provider is obviously important in, in knowing you know how trustworthy are they um Thankfully, in most cases, if you're using a big name provider, it's going to be okay. Right. Um, the, to, to go back to the main question, is it safe to store my stuff on the cloud? If I had to, you know, gun to my head, black and white, yes or no, I'd say yes. As long as the place that you're using is reputable. You know, if you go, if you go to alppple.com alpull.com to go set up I love those dudes you know you're probably gonna get scammed um, to set up your backup so uh, you know using reputable sources is gonna be huge Um, you don't use Goggle Drive? Goggle Drive is the the best you know Mm -hmm. Uh, I get these really distorted versions of all my photos back also they do nothing they do nothing yeah uh, so I, I would say that when it comes to uh, cloud technology. Um, one of the reasons why I am a proponent of it, why I use it myself, why I recommend my friends, family, and our customers do take advantage of this are the benefits. But one of the things I didn't talk about is how they store your data. So when somebody said, I'm basically, or this gentleman says, I basically, uh, w- I was told, how do you word it? Um, it's somebody else's hard drive. Yeah. He said, the cloud is just someone else's hard drive. It's true. That's Google's hard drive. It's Amazon's hard drive. However, your picture that you took on your phone uh, that went magically up into the cloud, before it went magically up to the cloud through the waves, it got encrypted. This is the magic of the cloud. This is the reason why people like us trust it. Your device encrypted that photo. That photo can't even be read by Apple. Apple couldn't read that photo if they wanted to. They have already told law enforcement in major cases, I can't give you access to that stuff because we don't have the key to open it up. The only person that does is the user account that set up that account. They, they have the password. They have the key to unencrypt that data. Right, because as crazy as it sounds, a lot of that stuff is one way. You'd, That's right. You'd think that the company that you're, you'd think that if you type your password into a website, that that company now knows your password. They shouldn't. No. It gets encrypted in a way where they just receive, they just receive what the encrypted version of your password is. And they know that, when you type your password and it gets encrypted, it should turn into the thing that they have on file. But there's no way for them to reverse engineer that back to what your password is. That's right. Is. Yeah, we actually, there was a, a while back, kind of at the, at the launch of uh, Rad TV, we had a person email us right after she had set up her account. 
and she emailed us and said, Hey, I forgot my password. Can you tell me what it is? And we're like, Oh, Hey, we, you know, we have the password reset link. Just go ahead and, you know, just run through that. And she's like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble with my email on my phone right now. I don't want to fix that. Can you just, just tell me what the password is? First off, even if we could, it'd be so bad so for bad. us just to send you your password. That's a terrible practice. Um, but we can't, we have no way to, the way your password is stored in our database that we control is in a format, which if the database got breached and hackers managed to pull all those passwords, they're pulling encrypted files that they can't unencrypt. They don't have the keys and neither do we, only you do. It's a two-way thing. So we kind of got, we both got to turn the keys at the same time for it to work. Right. And, um, you know, can they, can they be brute forced? Yeah. I mean, but that's like, you know, this is the type of thing that you would see maybe NSA supercomputers try to do. Yeah. That, that, that over the span of, over the span of, in some cases, decades, rainbow tables are being produced <laughs> that allow them to finally crack SHA-256 or whatever. Yep. But like, but where we are right now, it's going to take forever. The computing power to do that is staggering and hasn't been done yet. So yeah, the short answer is I would say it's okay to trust the cloud for one specific reason. Um, they, as long as it's a reputable source, Apple, Google, Microsoft, Amazon, uh, there's more. Um, they encrypt your data before they get it. They don't have access to it. Now, is there are there ways for them to technically gain access? Yeah, sort of. I mean, like generally with your approval and with you present and using your device and like there's ways to get into it again. Um, but it's not something that's done in mass and it generally can't be. So uh, when it comes to your your apprehension about storing things on the cloud, years ago I might have said I get it. I probably wouldn't either. But the way things have evolved with um, especially Apple, credit to Apple where it's due, leading the charge on on consumer privacy. Um, it's it's a safe thing to trust that your data is safe in their hands. And it's scary, but it, it's okay. There are so many things that your information is being taken in so many ways. Oh, God. The cloud is not one of the ones you should be worried about. Yeah, I mean, oh, God, that's that's like a whole nother. We could talk about that for another hour in itself, the ways that, um, you know, data points that private companies have on you. Facebook alone. I mean, it's insane oh, the yeah. amount of information that they've got. Um, one of the other questions that I, I had recently I wanted to go over was uh, a gentleman asked me about um, he wanted to recap on something I talked about. And I want to give a little bit more information. He said uh, that during a, a prior show, I had mentioned having multiple Wi-Fi networks in your house uh, for security. And um, now this is kind of along the realm of scam and security. It can evolve into different things, but uh, I'll, I'll start with uh, just a little history of why this is even relevant. A lot of people probably remember that in 2013, Target was in the news heavily about a data breach. Not a lot of people know what exactly happened or or how it occurred um but it was it was really big news um the the target breach of 2013 ended up resulting in 40 million stolen credit cards it was a big deal and this was at a time when we didn't have tap to pay we didn't have um, google pay so we were using these these authentication methods, which was just basically swiping a card, the card 16 digits is stored in plain text on some server somewhere. And this is really not done anymore. Target was a big reason why this is not done anymore is because of this particular breach. Um, but how did the breach happen? It's the craziest, most simple thing. They added 
it is in 2013, 10 years ago, and this is relatively new technology at the time. They added a Wi-Fi um, thermostat in one of their office buildings. So at a corporate office building, somebody said, you know, it'd be really nice if we could just control this thermostat from our phones, set the schedule from there, make sure that it doesn't run all night. Genius. Great. They probably saved a bunch of money. <laughs> well, not, not quite. That's not how it turned out. What happens is this thermostat, this Wi-Fi thermostat, this smart device, the smart home device, or as we call it in the industry, an IoT device, Internet of Things. So it's a thing that connects to the Internet. So an IoT device. It connected to their Wi-Fi, and the method in which it communicated with their router had a vulnerability, meaning that somebody uh, could stand right outside of this building and just throw a little code in the air and pull the password right back down. Now they have access to the network. It was as a result of adding this Wi-Fi controlled thermostat, this $50, $60, $70 device that resulted in a breach of 40 million credit cards. Um, And there's many stories like this. One of the other big ones was in 2017, Rutgers University had... 5,000 devices on their, on their uh, university network. Um, and th- their university encompasses students and staff and buildings. And so there's tons and tons, hundreds of thousands of devices in total, I'm sure, on their network. But 5,000 of them were running a form of Linux, which was vulnerable because it was a very basic operating system used for IoT devices. And as a result, somebody was able to put malicious code on a bunch of devices, um, a- anything that's IoT, thermostats, cameras, washers and dryers, now vacuums. I mean, like there's so many IoT devices. And in 2017, there was plenty of them for these students to attack. Um, And what they ended up doing was with control of these about 5,000 devices, they they, they performed what's called a distributed denial of service attack. So a DDoS. You'll hear that in the news sometimes, a DDoS attack. And this DDoS attack led to um, the entire university network going down. So we're talking about grading systems, um, the, the software that uh, professors use to, um, put, to put their plans in for the day. Everything is down. Um, they ended up getting caught, and one of them ended up getting sentenced to six months of home incarceration and a, just a small fine of uh, $8.6 million. <laughs> so uh, do you have any IoT devices on your network? Yeah, I've got I've got... I've got the Alexa. I did not want it, but my wife wanted it, so it's it's all over the house. You got the Alexas. I got I got them Alexas. I did. Uh, I went with. I, I had uh, Amazon devices, and I switched because I'm um, I'm not a huge Apple fanboy, but I do like. Their, Are you sure? It's hard to say that I'm not because ah! I kind of I, I I get it. Like I own every product that they sell, basically. As soon as they release it. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I get to have the excuse of like, well, I'm in the industry. Sure, you do. Um, so I I, I like their stuff, and I switched to uh, Apple HomePods, mm-hmm. um, so I can do the you know, hey keyword of the girl who answers on apple devices and and say turn on my lights and stuff like that um 
part of the reason I chose Apple again it was just leading the charge in data privacy. Um, they're not perfect, but they're good. You know, I like them, and and uh, and and I trust um, that the data that's leaving my network is the data that I want to be leaving my network. As somebody who monitors his network very closely. I know when things are added to my network, I get notifications if something joins my Wi-Fi. Um, I can inspect what that device is and how long it's been there and where it's sending traffic to and from. I can inspect the source of the traffic itself. So I know the volume of data that my HomePods are sending back and it's in line with what would be expected with a verbal request translated into some digital thing that comes back. What the volume of data that is not being uploaded is like megabytes and megabytes of voice from me sure constantly going to apple servers so i can at least say confidently as a um amateur kind of in the, in the network security the high end level of network security uh that apple's not sending stuff that i don't want them to send up to their servers at least for the most part um as far as i can tell and and you know for you know they have um independent uh, data forensic uh, uh, analysis done on their on their platform to make sure that it is safe. And there's other platforms that do that same thing too. But uh, IoT devices in particular, uh, they can be a, a vulnerability and something to be very careful of. So I made a recommendation of having a separate Wi-Fi network for them. And the reason for that is if you have your thermostat connected to your home Wi-Fi network and somebody uses a vulnerability on this IoT device, the thermostat in this case, to gain access to your network, they can do what I do and they can scan everything done on your network, everything. Now there's things that are really hard to see, like it'd be really difficult for them to see your bank account password, but it's not impossible. That can be done with other forms of manipulation that they could gather. There are extra steps, but yeah, they can do it. Yeah, I mean it's not the easiest thing ever, but it can be done. And 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 that said, if if you're the type of person, which you probably are if you're not here or working for a company like ours, who doesn't fully grasp the implications of a of an IoT device being on a network that is not updated with modern security standards, which you wouldn't even know. You're just in the store buying this thing in a box and it says that it can perform this task at your house. So you're like, "Cool. I'm going to connect it to my network and it could do this cool thing." I bought a uh a humidifier on on like Amazon or something a year ago and I didn't even know it had Wi-Fi built into it until after right. I took it out of the box and it was like Wi-Fi and I was like why would I need that though like what benefit does that serve now in my case I'm not concerned about it because I did do what I'm suggesting which is I have a IoT dedicated network it's isolated from everything else in my house so if somebody did take advantage of a vulnerability that might exist in one of these products they're just going to get access to a bunch of my other IoT devices, none of which are critical for me. None of them have access to microphones in my house. None of them have access to cameras and things like that. So my suggestion, one of the simplest things to do, is that on most consumer routers, you can enable what's called a guest network. Guest networks are inherently more secure than a standard network that you broadcast. And the reason for that is it separates all of the things on that network from everything else that you use. I also give this to people that come to my house. I feel kind of bad. It's like, well, you're going to get the guest network password because <laughs> I don't know what your standards are of, of uh, security on your PC. So that said, um, you know, they could be vulnerable and, and I have ways to make sure that that's not a problem too. But 
when it comes to just very basic IoT devices, you're connecting your thermostat, your new Roomba vacuum that connects to Wi-Fi, I recommend using the guest network. So you can set that up using your router's configuration. For example, if you have like Xfinity is in the Sacramento area, um, you, there's an Xfinity app. And in the app, you can modify your home network settings. And it does it in pretty good plain English too. You can say, turn on the guest network, make this the password. That's the network that you wanna connect your uh, less secure devices to. And generally speaking, if it's an IoT device, a thermostat, a, a, a refrigerator, a, what, a barbecue, anything that has these things, it, chances are it's, it's uh, frequency of updates are less than a computer, than a Windows PC, than a, than a Mac, whatever. And it's going to not be as secure. So putting those on a guest network is a really great thing to do. Um, that does come with some downsides uh, depending on how you're trying to communicate to it, but in most cases it will work just fine. Um, that there's yeah another thing that you can use is if it offers it depending on your router there's something called um, AP isolation they'll call it that instead of guest mode so you can turn that on too um, and then one other thing too is restricting access so if you're in the router settings there's a thing called restricting external access and without going into a ton of detail um, that basically is a way to prevent people from getting access to your router from outside your network well and especially like if you can the the minimum that you should be making sure that you're doing is that is that you've got a password on your network, but also it's the password that most people aren't thinking about because you know you you've got somebody who comes to your house and they're like, "What's your Wi-Fi password?" That's mm -hmm. that's the password that if any of us remember one at all, that's the one that we're aware of. But your router also has an administrator password. Yeah, it has an administrator name and it has an administrator password. Gaining access to those things lets somebody change all of those settings, change all of those passwords, so that they can put whatever device they want on your network or to access your network and like um there was a big news story a few years ago um the uh the fbi the fbi sent out a me i don't i don't know if you noticed or if you got the, if, i don't know if you got the memo or you were paying attention but the fbi sent out an, uh, a notification to america yeah. saying hey america please reset your router yeah and that was the crack one, right? Was that was that that one? No, that was a it was a different okay. one. Um, but that was it was in that same time period. They're like, hey, just as a minimum, could you please reset your routers, all of America? Um, because uh, and and also, if you could be so bothered, please change your password on your router, your administrator password on the router to something other than the default password. Which is often just the word password. Often password. You get like a Netgear router and the and the ad the admin account name is admin and the password is password. I don't remember if that's it's how so funny. Netgear does how, it. We go to people's houses all the time and they say, uh, I need you to figure out what's wrong with my Wi-Fi network. I don't have coverage here. And the first thing we are like, oh God, I hope they know their password for their right. router so that we can properly configure this. Not your Wi-Fi password, the router password as Jeff explained. And, uh, and we ask, um, do you know what the password is to it? And 99% of the time, oh, God, I thought, it was, I thought it was the one that I used to connect over Wi-Fi. No, it's a different password. And unfortunately, 99% of the time, it's just password. So it right. makes our job easier. Right, because yeah, because if you don't have it, then we'd have to reset the router and get everything reconnected to the network. Yeah. But uh, there's this practice. Um, it's called war driving, mm -hmm. oh, um, yeah. and it's... Uh, it's old. Uh, I, I had homeboys that were war driving 25 years ago. <laughs> and and what it is is just people driving through a neighborhood 
and um, you know they've just got their phones out or their computers out looking for open Wi-Fi networks and then just checking to see which ones aren't secure yep. and uh, just slowly driving through your neighborhood checking to see if yeah, you're so and, and you wouldn't know somebody was doing it because it's just somebody obeying the speed limit in your residential zone and what was happening was and and we sent an email out to all of our customers to let them know. And I even said in the email, I know that this sounds like it's from a Tom Clancy novel and that it, it just sounds bananas. But the truth is that Russian intelligence operatives were just driving through America looking for routers that had the default passwords and then injecting their code into them. And the thing that they were doing was that there sounds these, like an invasion of my privacy. It's absolutely an invasion. <laughs> it sounds like an invasion of my personal space. They, yes. You got you, injected by Russians? I don't think you got injected by the Russians. The the Fancy Bear, as it turns out, was the, the name of that organization. That was the Fancy Bear. And I, again, I know that it sounds made up. But uh, there have been these programs, and uh, there have been these programs called um, like SETI from Home, or folding from home, which oh, yeah. are these these super cool programs where SETI is the search for extra, extraterrestrial intelligence, uh, if I'm remembering that yep. right, um, and where um, you could dedicate, you could install this program on your computer, and you could dedicate some of your computer's processing resources to the grand scale of calculation necessary to look for reports of intelligent life coming through space. And then there was another one called folding from home where you could, you could, you could even put it on your PlayStation yeah, actually. And it would, it would allow your device to be part of the calculation necessary to be folding the human genome, looking for cures to cancer and things like that. Totally awesome. The Russian operatives were using this so that, so even if they weren't stealing your information, specifically your credit card stuff or anything like that, they were getting their they were getting their code to run through the router on your computer that would use your computer's processing for them to perform their cyber uh, their cyber attacks. So mm -hmm. your computer could be part of them taking down a Ukrainian power grid. Yeah, there and this was not only a very common problem. We firsthand ran into people whose computers were running this garbage, right? And 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 still do now. Normally, it's doing Bitcoin mining in the background. Sure, sure. Um, and it's like, why, I, why is my computer running slow? And it's find out. It's like, well, it's kind of a virus, but it's really your computer's working on behalf of somebody else's interest, right? right. And it's and you're you're paying the power bill to yep. destabilize foreign governments, yeah, or oh make some God. criminal money. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, I, a couple other emails. We'll, we'll wrap this up here. Um, I got an email from Eric. He says, coming from a background, a banking background, I would always tell customers, especially if someone is contacting you, uh, if you have even a small amount of doubt that it's uh, of its legit legitimacy to just hang up and call the number on the back of your credit card. That's good advice. Yeah. Um, I got an email here that was asking about our Wi-Fi network. Uh, Nick says. Do you need multiple routers for multiple Wi-Fi networks, or can you just use one? That's a great question. The answer depends on your router generally, but 99% of the time, modern routers, you just need the one router. Um, a lot of new routers will do at least two Wi-Fi networks, and kind of, I guess maybe an easy way to describe that is like, when you're on your phone and you want to connect to Wi-Fi and you go to the available networks, you see, you know, my network one, two, three, or in my, like my, my, my case, like, or, you know, reader house or whatever I call it. 
And sure, that's what you call it. Yeah, that's not what I call it. Uh, and then there's another network broadcast from your same router with the same signal strength and everything. And you I could call that, like my case, I'd call it like Reader IoT Network, something like that. Or a Reader Guest Network. Or I don't recommend you use your last name in your Wi-Fi network. Come up with something funny. You know, um, that's a great opportunity for good puns. Um, mine was Wu-Tang Lan for a long time. I like that one. Um, so, no, you don't. Generally speaking, need two routers. You can typically do it with the one, meaning that you, generally speaking, wouldn't need to buy new hardware. Um, and the last thing is my favorite email of the day. Uh, I got an email that says, uh, Ian, your co-host, I missed his name. His name is Jeff. Um, sounds like John Goodman. And I love it. <laughs> Thanks for all the great tech help. Love tech to you Tuesday. Keep it up. On that note, thank you as well. Thank you guys so much. Thanks for dealing with the little uh, audio bug in the beginning of the show this morning. I appreciate you guys sticking around. And uh, we will see you next Tuesday.